this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I'm Hope Mullinax, and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, Grunkle Stan takes the kids with him on a road trip to sabotage all the other torch traps in Oregon. We're talking about Gravity Falls Roadside Attraction this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. How'd you like this one? Good. That was a good one. I wish... You know, they had more space, so they could have done two or three parts, so they could have covered a wider swath of roadside attractions. But, yeah, no, it was it was interesting. It did not have anything, any references that I could find to the book and other roadside attractions. So it definitely wasn't, uh, uh, it was actually just about roadside attractions. But those are awesome, too. So I find this one interesting. Because this is actually usually regarded as the worst episode of Gravity Falls among fans. Okay. I can see why if you're really, like, especially at this point, if you were, like, chomping at the bits to get to some of the more mysterious stuff, this one is a total, this one's a vacation. It is a, it is a road trip vacation. It's completely divorced of Gravity Falls. And it's funny, it takes place in sort of just, like, the higher rent version of Gravity Falls somewhere else. <laughs> you know, another place with just its whole other thing going on, but maybe more lean towards just spider people oriented, but still, you know, a, a, a ritzy tourist trap with, with its local cryptozoology. I have mixed feelings about this episode, and I think that's okay, because there's a lot of things I really like about this episode, but there's a lot of... I, I have some issues with this episode, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. All right. Roadside attraction? I'm ready for it. <clears throat> Roadside attraction is the 36th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on September 21st, 2015. It was written by Alex Hirsch, Josh Weinstein, and Jeff Rowe. The director was Sunil Hall, and the storyboard artists were Von Tada, Emisa Sariga, and Alonzo Ramirez Ramos. Some extra information for you. Darlene is voiced by Chelsea Peretti. Her other works include Big Mouth, Parks and Recs, and she's also the amazing Gina Linetti on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of my favorite shows. All the other characters in the episode was voiced by series regulars like Matt Chapman, Kari Walgreen, and Alex Hirsch. And on Stan's map of tourist attractions around Oregon, the tent of telepathy is crossed off because it's no longer a tourist attraction because little Gideon is under arrest. Well, as always, what makes Chris Watch Cartoon is broken into parts. Part one, we'll be talking about the stories, themes, and characters. Part two, we'll be... Actually, we're not reading from Dipper's journal entry this week, because there's no journal entries for this one, but normally we would. Makes sense. Yep. Makes sense. And then we'll talk about the ciphers and connections to previous episodes, and then we'll have Chris's speculations corner. The reason there's no journal entries is probably the reason why I think it sounds like a lot of fans were, were not pleased with this episode. Well... What were your favorite parts of the episode? The Dipper's first girl that, that he's successful with is, Canada, is from Canada. And it's sort of like they never followed through on it. So it's more subtle. But that was just like always. I can't remember what movie it originated in, but it became just a cultural joke of like, 
oh, I have a girlfriend, but you wouldn't know her. She lives in Canada. It's like, oh, he's like, and the first girl he meets, she's like, and the mom's like, we got to get back to Canada. And I'm like, ah, Dipper's got a girlfriend, but she lives in Canada. Septic Ridge is a great name. Brenda 2, the sequel. I have that too! And uh, (laughs) everyone on board, probably, that happened. Not to, that happened. I, I was there when that happened. It didn't happen to me. It happened to my cousin, Kevin. And I can't remember which... Air Force Base it is in Denver. Is it Griffith? What's his what's his what's his last name? McAllister. No. And then he had a whole like movie about having to fight yeah. bandits. No, his name's actually Hutt H U T T. And like so, my, I have cousins who are Huts. So when I was a kid, I used to call him Kevin the Hut. Oh, that's great. Any anyway, yeah, we were we were. We went to visit him in Colorado, and uh, my aunt and uncle piled all the kids into the into this big 70s van because he was a used car salesman. So he got a nice travel van and drove us to like caverns and then to the air to see the Air Force Base and stuff. And we were about 50 miles away from the Air Force Base when someone goes, where's Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> and we went back and he was like Seuss right where we fought, right where we left him, just standing there going, so, lifelong trauma for Kevin. Oh, poor Kevin. Funny story for everybody else in the family. <laughs> it would have been, like, a really, really great, like, like, Kevin could totally spin that and be like, yeah, I made my own uh, home alone, but on an Air Force base, I had to fight the other people. My aunt and my mother were flipping out. Oh, I and bet then, they were. And then, like, they were, we were just on a throughway. So there, so we had to keep driving down the thruway until we could either find some place where we had to turn around. And then my uncle was pissed because we had to turn around and we had to pay the full fee to turn around. And st- he was just like, well, like, <laughs> got to go back and get your son. Sorry about that, dude. I'm sorry you're mad that you left your son and you have to pay, what, like 50 cents? <laughs> He he didn't leave his son. He wasn't. He was disengaged. He was just driving the car and smoking cigars the whole time, and like you know, he was just like, oh geez, this is now gonna. This has now been extended by two hours. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any other favorite moments? No, that's it for me. So I also had Grinda to the sequel <laughs> because that's just. Probably the best line of this episode. And Mabel's follow-up of you like, you're going to be such a good mother. <laughs> I always thought it was just so stupid. It, it's one of those jokes that's so stupid that it gets me every time where the girls, where Dipper's trying to think of a metaphor of his life unraveling as the girls are un, are unraveling the ball of yarn behind him. It's such an easy joke and it's so stupid. Like, God, I love it. It, makes, it gets me every time because I always forget about it. And and this is more of just, like, a nice moment. I, I love that little bonding moment between Stan and Dipper at the end, where Dipper's like, we're both failures. But Stan gives him that little smile, like, and and I'll get to this uh, later in my notes, but I think that moment probably did mean a lot to Stan, because Dip, Dipper's been so Ford-focused. Like, he's been like, oh, man, great Uncle Ford. So to have that moment with, like, his nephew, I think I, I, I really like that moment. The unraveling yarn is stupid, but it's I, I almost it almost made my list because I was thinking about it and I'm like, that's the kind of humor like if a little kid is watching this and gets that joke like gets that joke even though it's simple for us as adults 
although it's still funny for us as adults. Yeah. But as a kid, if they get it, it's probably hysterical. Yeah. And that's that that's just it's like a gateway drug to like Monty Python and stuff like that. So <gasps> that's just, what it, it is. It leads to more. It leads. It's it's more complicated than the usual humor. And there's a lot of that in kids cartoons now. So I love it. There's just a direct pathway to stuff like Monty Python or kids in the hall. You know, the more demented. Yeah. You know, demented stuff that really like was, you know, more abstracted. I've been trying to put my finger on it all day, what that joke reminded me of, and it's Monty Python. That is a Monty Python joke. They're grooming the kids for Monty Python, and I'm I'm all about it. Uh, I actually want to start with why this episode probably hit, like, is a hit in this episode. And it's, it's funny because a lot of fans stand by this episode, but a lot of fans don't like this episode. And I'm going to open this by saying, dear listeners... I'm about to be a hypocrite all throughout the rest of this episode, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> and also, I'm going to say, listeners, if you're going to talk about art or be an artist or be somehow affiliated with art, be ready to be a hypocrite your entire life entire if you have life. any kind of subjective opinion. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, hypocrite it up, Hope. For me, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this episode because there's a lot of things I really like about it. But I also feel like it's just not in the right place of the season. This feels like it needs to be, like, in the middle of season two. Definitely after Into the Bunker, after Dipper got shut down by Wendy. But I feel like it needs to be before the Northwest Mansion mystery episode. It could totally be in season one. Except for Stan doesn't know about, is supposed to not know about the mysteries. And that's the only reason why it wouldn't work in uh, season one. yeah. There's not even mention of Ford in this one. I I will get to that because, boy, is that a big reason why I don't like this episode. So, like, for me, I feel like this episode could really work right around the time of, like, Seuss and the Real Girl little gift shop of horrors. Because it just feels like it's not in the right place. And a big part of that is we we have next week and then the three-part finale. And it feels like they kind of really, like, hit the brakes on this one. But I'll get back to, because I like that. <laughs> like I said, I was going to be a hypocrite. And before you do, I might have a reason for why they did that. There might be, I might have a, uh, it's not as much plot-wise, but emotional-wise reason why. Well, then I guess we should go ahead and talk about it. Because I don't, I don't mind that. It's nice to have, like, one more hurrah with Stan before we get into the finale stuff. Have that moment, like, with him and the kids, and it's, a, it's like, one last little summer adventure before, like, we get into the finale. I, I, did, I didn't even really think about this until, I, until we were both talking about how Ford isn't in this one at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think this one, by removing it from Gravity Falls, it sort of keeps the adventure. I mean, it's got, it's got um, the, the, the two girls tagging along and Seuss for a little while. <laughs> But it, it sort of takes the main three characters and isolates them, takes them right out of Gravity Falls and takes them right out of the context. They still get wrapped up in mystery stuff, of course, because they are uh, on, a, on a trip to basically mystery spots eventually until they, they reach the fake or, you know, the uh, the upper class Gravity Falls. But it, it sort of takes those characters and has them together isolated from the whole overarching mystery of of Gravity Falls, 
they don't make any big breakthroughs in their characters or their relationship with each other. They just sort of cement it. They they all pull together when there's trouble at the end and stuff like that. The 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 normal stuff. Yeah. But there's going to be all sorts of plot and things like that. And I think they're I think before they go into that and without Ford there to be pulling energy away from that, they're 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 sort of they're sort of strengthening your emotional ties to the the three main characters to going into that. And it's and it's a nice little light breath of fresh air because things are probably going to get pretty like heavy and crazy as it goes on. I'm sure it's still going to be funny, but I'm sure there's going to be like more horror beats coming up. Kind of thinking about it too, because of course Ford's not in this episode in that where it is in this placement of the season, it doesn't make sense either because Ford was very adamant last episode of like, we need to protect our thoughts, but as long as we're inside the mystery shack, Bill can't get to us. So it almost feels like, I kind of wish there was an opening scene of like Ford and Stan and Stan's like, no, we're going on this road trip. And Ford's like, you're endangering everybody. Yeah, I'm surprised Ford didn't run off any of the people who came to to prank the the shack. Yeah, and that that's where I I feel like it's not in its right place. And I will say, like, I've seen some speculation like from fans going back and forth saying that this episode was supposed to be earlier in the season. I can't find proof of that. And I've been I've been looking and looking and I can't find the proof of that. But it would make sense. It's as if Ford doesn't exist at all. Exactly. And I also just feel like Dipper is in a different place. I'm okay with Dipper having the storyline because it's not easy to get over somebody. And it's not. And like that, it was like Wendy was such a big part of his crush on Wendy was such a big part of season one that it would make sense for them to have the story. The reason it feels like it's not in the right place to me is because of Northwest Mansion mystery, because it introduced Pacifica as a possible love interest to Dipper, and Dipper was really into it. And we know that from the journal, and we know that, like, from how he act, and it happened organically and naturally. And so it just doesn't feel like... Oh, remember, the journal's written post, too, so they, it was yeah. written after they'd already done that, so... Okay, then let's throw the journal out. It still doesn't... I still felt the same yeah, way right, when, I, right. when, I, when I watched this episode for the first time. Like, I was just like, why is he doing this? What about Pacifica? Yeah, everything exists in a vacuum, sort of, story-wise. It just feels like it needed to be earlier. And and I do have to say this, because I felt this way, actually, to touch on our other podcast, I felt this way watching season two of Resistance. Right around the time of A Tale of Two Stands, it was announced that the show was ending, that season two would be the final season, and we only had about seven episodes left. And people were like, what do you mean <laughs> there's only seven episodes left? Because people were like, okay, like this is going to go to a season three, a season four. Like We were expecting it to have a long run. And so when they were like, no, seven episodes left, people were like, oh my gosh. So I do think it put an unfair, heightened expectation on every single episode after that. So I do think this episode does get unfairly yeah. scrutinized. Because when you only have seven left of something, you're just like, everything must matter. And that's not fair to this episode. Because there's actually nothing wrong with this episode. It's a good episode. I just don't feel like it's in the right place. And I think it just um, needed to happen earlier in the season. Well, that's why I liked when when they brought back Clone Wars, that there was... It was a whole arc, but the you know, and, and there were the, it was the the first two arcs, and it had 
they they drove the flop plot flop forward the plot forward but they also the a lot of them just had a feel of just like a, a clone wars was progressing on and just going on like a normal season even though it was like you know the final season after the fact and brought back and you know all that and we actually talked about that during the Martez sister arc because because it was the final season that arc was like really heavily scrutinized even though it's the thesis statement if if it was in any other season of clone wars it would have been a fantastic arc and here's like the difference between you and me here is you watch this as it came out and I get to watch it just as a, a thing that I already know when it began and when it ended, what to expect and all that. And, uh, and I, I get to watch it just like boom, 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 week to week to week to week. No, no, only breaks when we want to take a break. <laughs> Every once in a while a break, but nothing like when the show is coming out. So I'm not invested in it in that same way like shows that I've watched, you know, as they came out week to week and had to wait a year between seasons and stuff like that. So I like though when they know they're ending but they still do stuff like this because eventually these shows will down the line will be watched out of that context of the week to week thing so everybody will watch them just as a season a lot of the fan stuff that went along with it was like more emotionally keyed to watching it week to week so it's it's different when like when you watch Gravity Falls now from now on, you know, here it is. Here's the two seasons of Gravity Falls. I'm going to watch it. You don't get to the end of season two and unless you're really not paying attention and go like, wait, where's season three? I, I thought this kept going forever. So, yeah. And that's how it's going to be forever after that. Unless like for some reason there's some like trend where they start recreating scheduling <laughs> schedules. Oh. Yeah, nobody will want that. So, yeah. Ugh. So, you know, they're, they're going to be just viewed in their own context. So making them like that, like without that heightened, the heightened stuff. So it doesn't feel tonally different Yeah. Or, or too radically tonally different when it gets totally different is a good plan. If you plan on people watching it 20 years later or whatever. Yeah. Hey, hope here. I'm about to say something, and I just want to say this was recorded before the Amphibio Season 2 finale, where Disney, hours before the finale aired, pulled it and rescheduled it for like two weeks later. Just wanted to let you know. Enjoy. At least Disney has gotten better about their release schedules, because they used to do like an episode, and then like a three-month hiatus, and then like another episode, then like a few weeks at least, like, recently, like, they'll have blocks. Like, you know, we had a season 1B and a of, like, Amphibia and Owl House, and then we had a break, and then, like, you know, we had, like, you know, the rest of the season all come out, and, like, they, they did it that way. So that's better, and, and I had to give them that. And then Disney screwed over Amphibia's season 2 finale, and the episode got leaked on iTunes, and the creators were pissed and words were said, and yeah. Okay, final correction. Enjoy the rest of the episode. My, my last hypocritical note is actually back to Ford. So here's the thing. Like I said, we have next week and then the three-part finale, and just at this point in the season, and I, which was the other part that a lot of people, and me included, just thought, like, this is not weird. This is not great. We know so little about Ford, and to not even have him in the episode. 
It just seems like a waste of space. But here we go. Hypocrite. I really enjoyed one last solo hurrah with Stan. Yeah, I, I really yeah, yeah, yeah. do. And I don't hate it. And so I just, I think this is an interesting episode. I I would actually almost like to rewatch this and stick this episode between Susan the Real Girl and Little Gift Shop of Horrors and see how it works. Just because I feel like it would work so much better in that spot. You know, there's a little time after Into the Bunker, and then you have this episode, and then you have a little time before Northwest Mansion uh, Mansion Mystery, and then you just have all the Ford episodes. You go from last Mabel Corn into next week's episode, and it would just, I feel like that would just flow so much better. So, anyway, that's my uh, mixed thoughts about this. Let's actually talk about the episode. So, what did you feel about Dipper Story in this one? And I guess kind of stands, too. It was good. It was sort of a little rip-on, like, pickup artisty type of stuff, but it was just, it was a light lesson. It was a light little, little lesson. Really? I feel like it's a really heavy lesson. Yeah. No? No? No. <laughs> uh, I wonder if that comes down to our genders, because I'm just like, yes! Teach all the boys not to be jerky assholes to girls and use them as, like, tallying points and win them over. And it's just like, look how many, like, girls are not tallies. Thank you for teaching a boy this. Yeah, but you see, I don't think, I don't think that's how, I don't even think he, he took it that deeply. It was just like, eh, that's kind of a, a crappy way of going about it and it doesn't work out for you. Like, he's trying to pick up girls for his own ego and... That's not what girls are for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it immediately catches up it, it catches up to him. But he was just like, "Oh, that didn't work for meeting girls because I, you know, he was he yeah." He recognized it. And, and Dipper did say from the beginning. He was like, "Uncle Grumble Stan, this feels really jerky. I don't I don't like how this feels." And Stan was the one who was just like, "All right, your funeral, let me go pick up this hot spider lady." But actually what I liked about it, though, is it's it actually reminded me of a Facebook post the the other day. A buddy of mine was talking about how at conventions she just missed randomly making out with women or not with women, just like just missed making out with people at conventions. And just, you know, you would just find somebody, have this exchange and then just like make out with them and then just leave. And that concept to my like my asexual brain just like broke in half. I was just like. People do that? Usually there's alcohol involved when that's going on. But yeah, pe- I've, yeah, people do that. And it was just <laughs> such a foreign concept to me. And another one of her friends who who I didn't know, um, who was also asexual, was just like, are you serious? Like, people do this? And I was like, thank you, my fellow ace, for thinking this is strange. And then I was like, is this why people do, like, make out at high school parties? And she, and she was like, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know if that – yeah, see, I don't know if that's uh... – I think, like, I think parents have changed since, like, the 50s. And I think in the 50s and 60s, there were make-out parties. And I'm sure there are still, like, middle school parties where making-out happens, like, house parties and stuff. But, like, I think the make-out party has been relegated. Like, I think parents know since they were kids, too, and they have kids. So they've gone the birds and the bees route that they know kids are going to make out and they also know that there's a level of making out that's really stupid and awkward and, and, and sloppy and, and doofy. And they like make it so, eh, you know, if it happens around the house, they're not going to get in trouble. We know that they're in their room making out as long as there's nothing uh, 
funny going on or, you know, a little bit of making out. It. And so I don't think it's, it's something that you had to like take to a house party. And I think most most that just means most kids are more private about it. I don't know if there's as many like room full of kids all just like chewing on each other's faces and chewing bubble gum and stuff like there was in the <laughs> 50s and 60s. We, because we're in like the horror aspect of Gravity Falls, I just imagine just like a like somebody actually like chewing on someone's face, just like yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 but that's yeah. basically how kids, yeah, kids are like collie dogs, just like look at each other, like, that, that, that. It's the the funniest shit in the world. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I liked I liked this lesson because the reason I brought up like this like harmless making out at conventions and stuff like that. Because it does, on the surface, seem like it's harmless and innocent, like when it's with strangers. But it catches up with Dipper when it's someone he he knows, you know. And and Candy gets caught up in all of his shenanigans, and it ends up really hurting her. And and what I liked about this episode is, you remember? God, I can't remember. I think it was the Love God episode. Oh, see, I think she bounced back really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I think it was the Love God episode. I was talking about this with Mabel. And I think this is the first time, like, we really see it with Dipper, that when Dipper, like Mabel, messes up, like, he's aware of it, and he owns it. And I, I love that line where he was like, you guys can be mad at me later. We have to help Stan, but you guys are allowed to be mad at me. I totally deserve it. Here's a pamphlet of what a jerk I am. Like, and I like that about Dipper, is that he really not only owned it, but he also was like, gave Candy room to be upset and angry with him. And he owned it, and he deserved it, and he knew it. And I think there's – one of the best lessons I think people can learn is it's okay to make mistakes. I think so often, like, we try to cover up our own mistakes, but really, like, when we mess up, it, that's when we really grow the most as people. And it sucks, and it hurts, and it's hard, but mistakes are how we grow, and I like that moment with Dipper because he really grew and he was able to patch things up with Candy and he owned it. And she was just like, yeah, you were a crazy little baby as you ran away from a spider later. And he's like, yeah, I deserve that. I deserve that. But at, at the same time, I, I like the way that they had the girls teaming up on Dipper mm-hmm. because I've seen that happen, especially in, in like middle school age like where girls got two or three friends who are in on what guy she likes and they'll and those girls will be like james bond on the outskirts of your vision just like bending reality to get a spontaneous moment between the two of them so dipper sort of got like pinioned into it and it sort of was the catalyst for him getting caught but it wasn't like going exactly too well either you know (laughs) Up to that point, he was, like, creeping to the other side of the the chair and everything. But not that he wasn't a jerk. But I, I think it was I think it was more that, like, Candy busted him at it than, like, he was as much of a jerk to her. Because he was just trying – he was trying not to – he was trying not to hurt her feelings by being like, oh, Candy, I don't know. I don't want to – but at the same time, also, there's also an element of, like, not wanting to lead people on that he's learning a little about. Yeah, it just – it covered just – it just – Covered a lot of just the the little pratfalls of of puberty puberty love. To, to go to Stan, this is just such a good episode for Stan to be petty as hell, and I love it. I love because petty Stan's my favorite. Because um, <laughs> Stan Pines is a very petty person. That's good. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's good because that's uh, 
stand a chunk of the time, so you're 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 lucky. But I, I also love this idea that all the tourist trap owners are actually just as cutthroat and like conmen as Stan is. That very first moment, like when you pull up to like the the big ball of yarn and you see like the cute little grandmother and Stan's like, this woman set my car on fire. She's the worst of all of them. Yeah. Uh, but that's always how it is too. Little old ladies are, have had their whole lives to, to become evil little old ladies and it's a cutthroat business. But like the, the fact that they're not even, they're not even really competition for each other because they have to travel. Like if they were in the same, like Gideon was competition for him because it's in the same town, but tourist traps are, you know, they're all off in the middle of nowhere. So people go to all the tourist traps. They they set. So they're they're almost like a chain of interconnected ecosystem. But the, they're an ecosystem of bastards. So they still all hate each other and still purposely go out of their way to uh, to prank each other. I think that's like perfect because they're basically all stand. And like yeah. you would see people in the background of the place and you'd be like, I wonder if that's the stand or if that's the Seuss of the place, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So what did you think of Miss Darlene, the spider lady? Oh, she was great. I, you know, it's a kid. If, if it wasn't a kid's cartoon, she would have had like a Paul Mall hanging out of one hand <laughs> all the time. But it was great because I was I was wondering where they were going to go for that because it's like, ah, we're not going to get this is totally drunk uncle Stan picking up a bar floozy. But like, how are they going to how are they going to work this in? And I'm like, this has got to go wrong somewhere. And it, and it's just like, yeah. And, and I she didn't pulls put, her skin off and becomes yeah. a spider. Yeah, I like how she can turn her head inside out. That's a really nice little piece of animation. And they and they liked it too because they did it like three times. It was so great. I I love Darlene as a character because I've I've actually seen like Darlene's in action of just them just being like, "Oh, you're so strong. Can you come help me with this thing? Okay, I got all I needed from you. Bye." <laughs> like I've seen Darlene's in action, and they're so great. And I think it because it, it's actually a really such a good foil to like what's happening with, like, Dipper's story and everything. Because she just takes all of Stan's bullshit and all the bullshit that jerky guys do, and she just uses it against them. And and I like that, that they turned it on its head with, like, Dipper and Stan could have very easily been, like, the monsters of this, but, like, they use the monster to show why they're being so jerky by using it through the monster to re- make them realize that they're the ones that are being jerks in all this. <laughs> so... Yeah, and also there's there there's a sort of like little parallel there where she's like she's a predator. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, they get a little taste of their own medicine. What I like about it is now that we're we have the whole Bill Cipher stuff, stuff like a giant spider person, it's not stressful to watch. It's all comedy. Stan just like gets his phone out and like, hey Dipper, come get me, and she smashed the phone. He's just like, oh wiggling or you know doing comedy it's it, you, you you don't take the the monsters of the week as seriously and it's and it just makes it more fun it's not interesting though because like we know with gravity falls that the monster the quote-unquote monsters of the week are almost just like residents like the gnomes just live in the woods they're residents of gravity falls so is the manators so is the multi-bear they just live there and i like that kind of framing of that They've moved away from them being monsters, and now they're just kind of part of the ecosystem. That they're they just that is their home, and I like that twist. 
And just a spider person compared to all the stuff that they've dealt with is just not a big deal anymore. I mean, they jump into action and stuff, and it's it's a fun, but nobody's like really freaking out. It's just like, oh, getting attacked by a spider lady, which is as it should be since we're two seasons in. So. Yep. Yep. The only thing about other thing about Darlene, I I just really like her design in her human form because you can actually like you know in hindsight now knowing what she is, you can see all like the warnings like she has dream catcher spiderweb earrings. Her sunglasses sit on top of her head and they look like huge bug eyes. And it actually looks like she has multiple eyes because you have the sunglasses and then you have the sunburn around her normal eyes which looks like a set of eyes and then you have her human eyes so it actually looks like she has six eyes um in her design and it's just there's so many like really cool hints about her true form and so i really like her human form design i just want to note candy candy girl i am the exact same way with travel pamphlets i want to read them I want all the knowledge, and I love, I love, every time we would go on a road trip, I would always try to grab the travel pamphlets, especially because I've always liked those, you know, those kind of, like, fake maps where it'd be, like, a map of Florida, and then you would see all the attractions, like, drawn in. You would love garage sailing up here. You could, you could fill your house with travel pam- pamphlets if you want. There's, the, the, the and, like... I've seen boxes full of them from like the fit in the fifth. The ones from the fifties are amazing. Oh, oh. Yeah. From the fifties. Well, the fifties and the sixties are almost the same because they just printed them for decades. Yeah. But that time period, they're all the illustrations in them and the way that they're made and fold. A lot of them fold like out like maps instead of pamphlets. It's, they're just amazing. I always loved, like, because my parents would rarely actually stop at, like, rest stops. Like, we'd have to be, like, desperate to stop at a rest stop. So when we actually did, I'd just be like, pamphlets! <laughs> so Candy's my girl in this one. I, I'm actually really glad that we got an episode where Candy got to shine. Because Grinda has had her big moments this season. Like, she got to be on her own with Mabel in the Dungeons and Dragons episode. But Candy has kind of been, hasn't had, like, you know, an episode to shine. And so I really liked that, that she got to be the one that saved the day. And it was because of her travel pamphlets. And she got to really just, you know, show why she's so cool. So I I really liked that because Candy, Candy needed an episode to be awesome. And she just used her knowledge and did it. Actually, speaking of the girls, um, I just also think all the girls together are just, just shows why they're so strong. I love when they're all together. They're such a good squad. They interact with each other so much. Well, they're so completely different that they become complementary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like the, like the little scene where they're like roasting marshmallows and they're playing truth or dare. Like, it's such, it's so good. But did you also have like that moment, like where Mabel and Grinda are company, are comforting Candy and Deborah runs up like the the girls are just so complimentary and they're so good together and I liked I love watching them in this episode. Muscles, brain, and and energy. Chris, have you ever seen the Goofy movie? No. Okay, so you're not gonna get this this my my next note at all. Okay. Okay, is this okay? Actually, this might have to do with a question in my notes. Okay. Because I said, what is a Toby determined? Toby is the the newspaper guy. Oh, the, the really annoying guy who's not a real reporter and uses like a I turkey thought it baser. was a reference to something out pop cultural or something. No, his name I is could... Toby Determined. 
Because he's too be determined to do to fail at everything. That's Toby. Okay. So never mind. No, I have not seen a Goofy movie. I do have to wonder if they took a little inspiration from the Goofy movie in this episode. Because it's also about a road trip and stuff. By the way, the Goofy movie is great. For It really is. But the hot tub scene with Stan and Dipper so much reminds me of the same hot tub scene with Goofy and Pete. Where Pete is like, hey, your son is lying to you. And it's it's the reason I mean that is that there's a shift in both this episode and in the movie after each one had their hot tub scenes. And Dipper and Goofy are both at their emotional heights in those moments and thinking that everything is great and fine and everything's going really well. But after those scenes, it crashes around both Dipper and Goofy for the second half of their respected medias. So I I do wonder if they did pull some information, uh, some information, if they did pull some inspiration from the Goofy movie, because even how it's animated, they're very similar. You have, like, the hot tub scene and then everybody else happening, like, away from it. It's just, there's a lot of, like, similarities. And I do, I have always wondered if that was some synergy that they were doing within, like, Disney projects. You could say they pulled a scene from the Goofy movie. Ah. <laughs> and the only other note that is, I love the animation of Upside Downtown. I just think that entire segment is clever. I love it when they turn the house right side up and the gift shop's upside down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just thought all the that animation for those scenes was just very, very, very clever. But that's all I have for Roadside Attraction. Did you have any other notes? I don't think so. Wait, let me check, but I don't think I do. Um, the o- Okay, the only, the only other note I had is, like, yeah, I wish this had been either longer or a couple more episodes because there were still some ro- there, there was some roadside we never got there was potential for aliens because there's area 51 which is all roadside attractions there's all sorts of ufo roadside stuff bigfoot stuff and dinosaurs galore well we've already uh, had a dinosaur episode i know i know and but like it's funny because the first thing I thought was they're going to have the ball of string. Ball of strings like the number one roadside attraction thing that pops to be in. That was the first place they went was a ball of string. I'm like, okay, I saw that coming. But that's all I got. Well, normally this is where we would be reading from Dipper's journal entry, but there's actually nothing from the author or from Dipper about this. So we're going to take a little break from the journal this week. Well, Ford wasn't along and nothing to do. It's divorce, yeah. Actually, you know... I will say that is another thing that people feel a little bit odd about, but we've already talked about it in the show before is, you know, most of the weird stuff that we've had so far happens inside Gravity Falls, but the spider person happens outside of Gravity Falls. But we know that that's not out of the, out of the ordinary because the boy band came from outside of Gravity Falls. Seuss's video game, sentient video game came from outside of Gravity Falls. And they also set this place up as sort of like a, a, just a more successful version of, you know, a more the, the gift shop was a more higher tier Gravity Falls. So it was just sort of like the, 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 there's been lots of movies with gags like that where people go into another town and there's a whole group of people just like them that they hate but are exactly like them. <laughs> I just thought sort of, of uh, you know, Shaun of the and, Dead, that like one scene right, where they all yeah. pass their doppelgangers. Yeah, yeah, and they all look at each other and they're just like, Ugh. and that's what this was. So, so nothing was really paranormal until they hit the analog for Gravity Falls, which I thought was 
I thought that was a nice little touch to it. I will say also, um, it's also not weird because in A Tale of Two Stands, Ford had that map of everywhere in the United States. And yeah. there was other places outside of Gravity Falls. It was just Gravity Falls was the height of the places that he could find, which is why he went there. But it doesn't mean that there weren't other things other places. Right. So, yeah. well, now we're going to get into connections to previous episodes and the Cypher Corner. So the plot of this episode was actually hinted at in The Love God. Mabel, when she was trying to figure out potential matches for Robbie, there was a section where she had future matches question marks, and she had figurines of differing candy together in that section, um, hinting that they could have been compatible, at least into her eyes. And way, way back, episode eight, an irrational treasure... When Dipper and Mabel are watching the government footage, President Quentin Trimbley was having a State of the Union speech, and he said, The only thing we have to fear is giant man-eating spiders, which was hinting that he might have actually dealt with his own share of creatures like Darlene in the past. But that's not really quite like a hint for this episode. It's probably just more of like a thing where it just kind of worked out that way. But I think that's a cool idea that Quentin Trimbley back in like 18-whatever was just like, Ah, spider person! And finally, the cryptograms for this episode. The one at the end of the credits, once decoded, reads, Seuss, like a noble golden retriever, eventually found his way homeward and befriended a talking bulldog and a sassy cat along the way, which is a reference to the movie Homeward Bound, which always makes me cry because that scene where Shadow is, like, trapped in the thing. He's just like, leave me behind. And then, like, Shadow comes out of the woods. He's like, Peter. And I'm just like, <laughs> Shadow. Go. I thought it was Fantastic Journey. Or was it Fantastic Journey? Or maybe Homeward Bound is also based on Fantastic Journey. Homeward Bound is based on Fantastic Journey. The only, because I've seen both. And the difference is, Homeward Bound, all the animals are voiced. Fantastic Journey is just 90 minutes of animals just walking across wilderness. <laughs> so. And finally, the flashing page cryptogram at the end reads, Carla McCorkle returned all his flowers. Marilyn divorced him after only six hours. Beatrice slapped him for being a cad. Old Goldie's the best girlfriend Stan ever had. And Old Goldie was that golden prospector statue from Seuss and the right. Real Girl that Stan took to Vegas with him. <laughs> so, what's your speculation corner? I thought about maybe speculating that Dipper and Candy actually will hook up, but I don't think so. But I think we'll have a moment where Dipper starts thinking that maybe he might be interested in Candy because now she's not interested in him. <laughs> He might get more interested in her now that she's just like, yeah, I decided you're not attractive anymore after I saw you <laughs> run away like a baby. So that's all I could really muster up for a prediction out of this one. No, I'm not going to ask you that. We're It's so funny because we're getting so close to the end. I'm just like, I could try and like weasel you this way. And I'm like, we have one episode and then the finale. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> we're almost there. We're going to get there. We'll get there. Because I'm like, something did happen last week, but... That was last week. Last I week. missed it. I missed my chance on it, just like I have probably so many times. We talked, we talked about it last week. 
because the mystery shack is protected, Bill was like, I can't take over anybody inside the shack, but I can. And then he was like, what if I took over somebody outside the shack? And so with them on a road trip, you know, there's a chance that somebody could be taken over. Sure. Sure. Why sure? <laughs> they did leave Kevin behind. <laughs> Poor Kevin. Kevin got left at the military base. Wouldn't that be great if, like, a character just showed up and he's like, I'm Kevin Hunt, and you were just like, ah! <laughs> I'm here now. My family left me at Griffiths Air Force Base. And he was Bill Cipher the entire time. Yeah. Kevin comes uh, out. Not smart enough. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> not, not flat enough. <laughs> big, beefy guy. Yeah. Well, oh, I had a segue and I've lost it. I was thinking about it. I was like, this is a perfect segue. And then we had to finish talking about Kevin. And I lost it. I farted with my lips like a gorilla does. What's wrong with me? I don't know. But you know what's not wrong? Your your patrons. My patrons. Hi, guys. Your patrons. My patrons. Oh, man. I haven't had Patron in forever. Have so, a shot of Patrons right now. It's so expensive. Have though. many. Yeah, but look at all the shots you got lined up right here. I know. I mean, and, and really everybody here is like a fine glass of Patron. If I hit a Patron for each of, if I did a shot of Patron for each of those patrons, I would be uh, Out. Head for, headed for bed. Yes. <laughs> I would last probably about half an hour, and then I would be asleep. There would be a hilarious half hour, and then I would be curled up in a little ball, snoring loudly. And Miss Bernice would be licking your head, just being like, ow. Yeah, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Bernice, oh my God. Miss Bernice went into ridiculous heat again, then started snapping out of it and was being really friendly. And she's, she's young, so she's learning how to, like, be affectionate. And she's starting to, you know, like be like, oh, it's real, like really nice to sit in someone's lap and let them pet you and stuff like that. But she like she seems to be going right back into heat. She seems to be she came out of it and now she's going right back into her rolling around on the ground and making an ass out of herself. I don't know what's going on. Zeb Zeb does that, too, because he's he's still kind of learning how to be affectionate, too. And, like, if you're, if he wants pets, he'll just, like, plop his head, like, right into your hand and just, right like. To, right where he wants it, yeah. And just, like, sit there. And so, like, you'll scratch him there and he'll be like, yes. But the moment you move your hand, he'll be like, no. <laughs> and yeah, she used to freak out when we had the little hand brush, you know, the, the glove that you put on and, and stuff. And she used to freak out and, like, rah, when you, and now she, now she sees you put it on she's just like. Hello. <laughs> Zeb still hasn't got to that point yet. Like he'll be fine for his top, up uh, for his for his back and like his sides, but he still does not like his belly being touched. Yeah, well, maybe never though. Sometimes never with some of them. Sometimes, sometimes with them. But yeah, the belly's always the belly's always a weird. Some of them, yeah. The ones that are big soppy sponges, they're you know right from the beginning. They're just like, hi, here's my belly. Yeah, have your way with it. Yeah, I will say it took me about two took me about two years before Carmilla would let me pet her belly, and every once in a while she'll still be, like give me like little love bites of like no, no belly touches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know who I also want to rub the bellies? No, that's weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I like the Patron. You guys are all like no, fine. you just do it in a, in a trailer. I don't. You never watch Trailer Park Boys, but that was the thing they do. They just sort of grab at each other's belly and go, "Who's got your belly?" Oh, Who's got your belly? I'm not gonna do that to my lovely Patrons because they're all very. It means, it means you got their back, though. It's basically it yeah. Means, that's a Canadian version of saying, "I got your back, fam." Who's got your belly? Who's got your belly? Patrons, I have your belly. Bucho, I have your belly. Jean, I have your belly. Brian, I have your belly. Billy, I have your belly. It's a Billy belly. A belly belly. Heather, you know I have your belly. Lynn, you better believe I have your belly. Hell, I cook dinner tonight. (laughs) Patrick, you better believe I have Patrick, your belly. Patrick, we have your belly in a jar, and it's going to cost $500 to get it back. No, I don't. $400. Uh, let's be fair, $350. we will we will talk. Okay. Hit us up in the DM. Bree, you better believe I have your belly. And Alex, too. I got your belly, girl. And Kate, I have your belly. Thank you guys so much for being my lovely, amazing patrons and for supporting the show and being here. And I know we're being silly, but I really, I really do. I love you guys so much. Thank you so if much. If any of them watch the Trailer show. Park Boys, they're good. They'll appreciate it. Cool, because they'll, I'm kind of like running happy. on the. They'll be very happy that I'm running on this joke, not quite understanding the context, but I believe you. And I, if you say it's a good thing, then I believe you. That's a I good thing. I won't steer you wrong. Wouldn't steer you wrong. You can go on YouTube and put in "Who's Got Your Belly," and I'm sure there's a montage of bubbles grabbing people's bellies and going when when people when people are mad at each other like another person goes up between the two of them and grabs each of their bellies and goes come on who's got your belly come on come on and then they all go and then they're all friends again that's how it works in that show but very easily like you could just be like yeah hope yeah who's got your belly and it turns out it's just like some horrible meeting and you're just like (laughs) i wouldn't know so i have all the bellies I've cornered the belly market. <laughs> belly futures are going up, folks. Well, I don't have anything else for this episode, so what were your final thoughts on Roadside Attraction? I liked it. I I didn't have any I didn't have any baggage of like, oh geez, I hope this you know, I, I yeah, I'm not mad at it at all. I liked it a lot. Yeah, like I, I really do just have mixed feelings about this episode. I still stand by if it was kind of like mid-season two, I think this episode would work really, really well. But I also really like this episode. I, I think it works with a lot of what it's working with. I like Darlene. Um, I like the use of candy. And I think it's a really good lesson for Dipper. So I, I really do like this episode. I just don't think it's in the right place in the season. I just think it's in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And yeah. All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com. That's our website where you can also find the other podcast Hope and I do, uh, J Guys and Jedi, a Star Wars podcast where we're going episode by episode of Star Wars Resistance right now. Ooh. And when we're through with that, we're moving on to the Mandalorian. And you can also find Two True Freaks on Facebook where we have the Two True Freaks podcast and the Two True Freaks Cantina. And we just added another uh, person to the Two True Freaks podcast, and I'm meaning to, mm. to, to sort of coax them into the cantina, too, because they're an artist. And I always like when artists join the cantina because I like it when they post up pictures of their art. And uh, let's see, where else? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Twitter. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. We have a Two True Freaks Twitter feed run by 
Gene Gene, the hammer machine. I wish I had a hammer, but I don't, so. If I, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, and I'd hammer in the evening all over this land, but I don't. I do, but it's not handy right now. If I had a handy hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, and I'd hammer in the evening. I'm glad I'm a writer, and I don't need to use my hand, my, my dominant hand, ever. Ow. If I was MC Hammer, I'd be Hammer in the morning, and I'd be Hammer in the evening, and I'd be Hammer all over this land, no matter what I did. But, <laughs> MC Hammer, where can they find you, Hope? Just the long <laughs> silence. <laughs> That's where you insert, stop, Hammer time. Dun, 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 dun. I can only do so much, though, because uh, eventually this will be on YouTube, and I can only have so much on my YouTube, so. Anyway, you can find me um, on the internets. Of course, this is the animation podcast for geekygirlexperience.com. You can read all my reviews over there. Of course, we have my lovely patrons that we mentioned, who we have all their bellies for. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash geekygirlexperience. So, this podcast now has a Twitter account, so you can follow us on Twitter, and it's our initials, so it's HMCWCPod, for Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons Pod. And you can also find me at Hope Molinex. Chris said that we have another podcast called J-Guys and Jedi, and you can follow us there on Twitter as well. And, yeah, are you ready to hear the title of the final episode before the three-part finale? Yeah, hit me. Next week's episode is called... Dipper and Mabel versus the future. Ooh. Another, maybe another Blinden Blandon? I can't say anything. But right. I will right. say, it is the final episode before the three-part finale, so. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will go ahead and say, listeners, we are going to break up the finale. We're not going to do, like, all of it in one sitting. So we're going to do the part one, the part two, and the part three. So. Good. That would be like six hours, I imagine. So yeah. Yeah. If we wanted to do it like we do every other episode, if we want to, if we want to really like cover it to the extent, minute per minute that we do now. Yeah, and I, there's just no, <laughs> we're not gonna yeah. do that. So, but all right, you guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. And I got your belly. Ooh.